Baptist Church, Charlotte. I want to draw your attention to this passage of scripture that hopefully when I read it or when you when you turn there, you, you'll know where I'm going tonight. The text is James 4, 7. James 4, 7. And it's, it's a simple um, verse of scripture, but there's so much behind it. So I told you I was um, talking with this brother and in talking with him, I, um, I got the inspiration to create or to develop this Bible study. All right, read with me. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James chapter number four, verse seven, New King James Version. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. So the question, obviously, is how are you doing with the temptations you're facing in your life? So as I began to tell you a few weeks ago, I'm talking to Brother X. We're sharing in the word as we sometimes do. And he was telling me how difficult uh, a problem he was having in shaking this particular temptation off of him. He said, man, I've tried everything I could, uh, but the devil, the devil, the devil always seems to trip me up with this thing. How many know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. I- I'm sure it wasn't just him, right? We all have this thing or things uh, that the devil used to knock us off our game, knock us off our box. He said he's tried everything I c- he could, but the devil always seems to trip him up. And I got the distinct impression that he needed more than just thoughts and prayers, right? And just talking to him, uh, he was he was wanting to hear from me, what can I do, right? And other than saying, I'll be praying for you, I, and I would be, and I, and I am still praying for my brother. I went to the word to try to find out what's in the word. Clearly that text is, resist the devil. But what does that mean? Right. Um, I really felt for him because I've been there and I can see often I can see the temptation coming. I recognize uh, which avenue it will take. And I also know what it looks like. I know how it dresses. How many know what I'm talking about? And I've gone to the Lord multiple times just like paul said i saw the lord thrice right Uh, and pleaded for a way to kind of avoid get around overcome and oftentimes i still fail and like i said i i i know i'm not the only one who who comes against these persistent challenges to our faith right here's what apostle paul writes in romans 7 verses 19 and 20 For I do not do the good I want. But the evil that I do not want to do, that's what I keep doing. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do the right thing, evil presents itself. Evil is close at hand evil is close at hand i want to do right i want to not sin 
I want to not say that thing. I want to not do that thing. I want to not go there. But every time, that's where the enemy takes me. Or that's where my flesh takes me. Or that's where I end up. Um, I have to tell you, I have to confess something. It just occurred to me. Um, this text was the very, very first text I preached in church. Some probably... 30 years ago. And I just remembered that. So we have a real adversary. We have a, we have someone that wants to mess up our relationship with the Lord. I'm talking about the devil, the Satan, the deceiver. And his imps, his, his, his principalities, his demonic forces. And according to the, the Apostle Paul, spiritual wickedness in high places. That is our adversary. But I hasten to remind you that you also have been given everything in the word of God that you need to be able to resist him. You have been given everything. And I'm going to share some of that in with you tonight so that it's explicit so that you can then reach back for these tools in your time of temptation, your time of difficulty. Matthew 18 verses 19 and 20 tells us that we have authority in Jesus name. That's why we use Jesus name so frequently. It says, truly, I say to you, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, I, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. Verse 20, for where the twos and the threes are gathered, touching anything concerning uh, me, Jesus says, there I am in the midst among them to bless and to do good. So the first thing is you have the authority. I'll come back to authority in a little while and give you some more clarity where my mind's at. The second thing you have is the written word. Yeah. I hope each of you got a big Bible like this with lots of study notes and references and whatnot. You've got the written word. It's not hidden. Um, and here's what the Bible says about the written word, Hebrews 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4, 12. You have the word. So you have, of course, you have the authority of Jesus's name. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. And you have the written word, right, which is quick and powerful. Next, you have the spirit of God inside of you. If you are a spirit-filled Christian, you've got God on board. And, and 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is that spirit. Uh, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. you got freedom in, 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 in the Lord. When your spirit comes in, he enables you to do things that you thought that you could not do. Acts 1 and 8 says, uh, and you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost come upon you. 
And you're going to be doing, you're going to be able to do things that you never thought that you could do. You can be witnesses. You're going to be able to win people to Christ. You're going to be able to explain the word in greater clarity. Hallelujah. And you will feel empowered when you are in those moments because the spirit of the Lord is empowering you to do so. So let me give you some tools. I want to go back to authority, right? Authority is important. But when you read the text, if you go back to the text, right? Remember, the book of James was written by Jesus's brother, right? When you read this text, right? James 4, 7. When you read the text, um, there's something in that text that we tend to read right over and not consider as importantly as important as what we end up uh, with the second second part of that that verse. We focus on resist the devil and he will flee. But right before that is the qualifier. And the qualifier says, submit to God. Therefore, submit to God, period. Resist the devil and he will flee. I mean, the brother of Jesus didn't just tell us to simply resist. He wanted us to know that before we attempt to resist, we will need to submit to God. Don't read past that. Don't read past that. If you don't want to do the first half of submitting, <laughs> um, don't be surprised if the resisting becomes much more difficult to do. One require, the, the second one requires the first one. You have to submit first in order to have the power to resist. The bottom line is this. We must first learn to submit to God who then empowers us to resist the enemy. You feel that? And if the enemy will not flee from you, it may be that you have just not yet completely submitted to the Lord. I feel. I know. I feel it too. And I think, I think, I think the Lord has been trying to get us to see that. And I think about my brother that I was telling you about earlier. And the enemy has been smacking him around. And I'm like, bro, listen. Uh, we have the power of the name. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the written word. Give yourself to those things and watch the Lord empower you. Amen. Amen. Clearly, clearly obedience to the word of God rightly uh, takes center stage in, in most of our discussions when we're talking about living as a follower of Jesus Christ. Right. And I would suggest that Christians as a whole would benefit from a greater emphasis on this this aspect of discipleship, namely uh, getting into the word, but more importantly, submitting to it. Submit to God's word and his will. This is a broader category that would include in obedience to the word. Right. But I, I want to highlight this daily submission that we are invited to do. Uh, this daily walk before the Lord. Pastor preached about it the other day and he called it the dailiness. The dailiness. I don't know if that's a word or not, but I, I got what he was talking about. Our daily walk before the Lord in which 
we lay our everything before God. Our, our requests are known to God, but we lay it before him, our desires. We lay it before it, our prayers, we lay it before him. And, and then we actively submit to his sovereign will as it, as, it, as it is manifested, as it is played out in our lives. In, in this text that I'm going to read, Jesus gives a, a perfect example of what it looks like. You remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? He showed us the way. The Bible says that his prayer that night when he was betrayed are some of the most remembered prayers in all of scripture. He says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, thy will be done. Matthew 26, 39. I want us to examine these words carefully because they give us three important insights into living in submission to the will of God. The first thing to notice about Jesus' example is how he, he expresses his relationship with his father. This, this, this affectionate, this, this love language, this uh, easy to entreat language. This is an intimate and dynamic relationship. And Jesus talks with his father as perhaps you would with your father. He makes his request of his father and expresses his desire and fears to his father. It is significant, I think, that Christ has talked of his coming death all throughout the Gospels. He has, he has even said that the whole reason he came was to give his life a ransom for many. So, so given how completely his mission and identity was uh, as an incarnate man, God with us, Emmanuel, and how closely it is tied to his death, it might be surprising that Jesus would now pray, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. But 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 surely this is nothing. Uh, this is this is nothing less than an honest human, if you will, heartfelt appeal. Because he knew what he was going to face. This is an appeal to divinity, humanity appealing to divinity. As as the cross looms ahead, right? Uh, so this is an example of Jesus in his humanity laying out his heart before his father in perfect transparency and he's, as he stares suffering in the face. That honest dialogue is part of Jesus' relationship with his father. And, and such regular dialogue should be found in us as well when we bear our souls before the Lord in prayer. Uh, we, 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 as we navigate the details of our lives and our relationship with God, we should often confess and, and, and bear our, our weaknesses, if you will, our, our challenges before the Lord. Tell him what, Lord, I'm, I'm coming up, I'm coming up to this difficult hour. Um, and you know where I'm at. I've studied for my test. Maybe the students will pray. Yeah, I've studied, but God, you know, I need your help to remember these formulas. I remember praying those tests in geometry. Uh, remember those postulates and theorems. Right? If you have attempted to resist the devil and seem to lack 
success in having him flee from you. It may be that you are not fully submitted to God. Could that be the case? Obviously, one needs to be a born-again believer in order to be able to resist the devil because it requires the indwelling Holy Spirit. And maybe you need to ask yourself some diagnostic questions. For example, is Jesus the one who is still sitting on the throne of my life? Is Jesus your God? Or do you flip him on and off depending on what day it is? Are you making all the decisions according to what you think is best as a child of God? Maybe you need to ask yourself, are you walking in obedience to the word? Are you asking God for guidance by the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if you are led of the spirit, then you are a son of God. Ask some other questions. Are, are your finances submitted to Christ? Oh my God. Uh, are you honoring those in Christ who have the authority over you? Oh my goodness. The bottom line is without submission, you have no authority. That's the bottom line. I can go on and on and on. But the bottom line is without submission, you have no authority. There are people who wonder why they feel like they have no authority over the enemy. And it's probably because they have not completely submitted, again, submitted themselves to God. Perhaps they regularly allow Satan to have a place in their lives. You can open a door to the enemy on a regular basis by the lies you, you tell or the lies you believe and the things that you do and do not say. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, do not give a place for the enemy to have access to your heart and mind. The verse says in verse 25, wherefore putting away all lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, but verse 27, neither give a place to the devil. In other words, a person must understand that God's will and God's purpose for our lives is more important than our desires and our will. Does that make sense? I hope it does. It is putting God first. It is living for Jesus instead of living for ourselves. That makes the difference. Therefore, submit yourselves completely to God. And with that obedience to the word of God, which is the foundation of living a life free of satanic influence. None of us are perfect. And I'm not talking about trying to live up to the requirements of the Mosaic law. I'm talking about surrendering your will to that of God's will. Be obedient to what he has told you to do by his spirit and what he has revealed to you in his word. James says, submit to God. So start by taking inventory of your life. Ask the Lord if there's any area of my life that is not under submission to you. And then ask him to reveal it. And then you surrender those things 
to him submit to his will in your life that will help you to resist the devil we also number two we also resist the devil when we wash our minds with the word i know there's some great authors out there that that write books that are devotionals and whatnot there's nothing like the word of god we must, we must allow God to wash Satan's influence from our minds every day, if you can. I want you to realize that your mind has been systematically programmed just by, just by existing, walking through the world. Now, you must have heard this before. We have three battlefronts uh, that every believer has to face every day. Your flesh, because it's ever-present with you, right? The devil which is an outside influence, and the world, another outside influence. And the Bible tells us that the word, the world, the world is under the sway or the influence of the devil. Now, you know this, because every time you watch television or go to the movies, the devil is on display. The prince of the power of the air will attempt to control what your values would be. Let's be clear, Hollywood's values are not necessarily God's values. Can I get an amen? Right? My mom is here visiting with us. Amen. And, 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 and she, she's enjoying, um, you know, we sit down sometimes and, and we enjoy a little television. And, um, and as soon as they start acting the fool or start with profanity, she's up and gone. And we should too. Hollywood's values are not necessarily God's values. When you listen to music, that's one of the ways that the prince of the power of the air will try to mimic the emotion he wants you to live with. Uh, when you drive and you see billboards or you walk through stores and you see signs, that's, in, in a way, that's one of the ways in which Satan is trying to tell you all that you need to be fulfilled is here or there. Similarly, and perhaps even more viciously, YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and all the other social media uh, sites, X, formerly known as Twitter, they promote non-biblical values. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world is under the sway, the influence of the devil. And we need to know how the enemy tries to program our minds through the world's values. And, and Hollywood is one of them for sure. Watch what you watch. Watch what you read. Watch where you go. Watch what you hold dear. You know, the world can tell you that you can't possibly be happy unless you, you drive a certain kind of car, you live in a certain kind of house and maintain a certain kind of lifestyle and have certain kinds of pleasures and you, you have the ability to travel and you can't be happy with all of that, without all of that. That is a lie from hell. Because the word of God says, watch this, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. That should be like a bumper sticker. 
<laughs> a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. Next, the world will tell you that unless you have some mind-altering substance, you don't even need, you don't even know how to have a good time. If you're not smoking some weed, drinking some liquor, taking some ecstasy, or whatever else they got out there. I mean, I never took drugs. Not one time. Not one time. And I'm not boasting because it was all around me. But the Lord knew what he, you know, he didn't want me to have it. And my brother cultivated the thing for crying out loud. Right? So it was it was ever present, if you will. <laughs> but, you know, I never got a desire. Thank the Lord. But there are simple things that we can experience happiness in. I mean, just a simple dinner around the table with your family should be joyous. Having a, a walk on the uh, through the neighborhood with your spouse or your children should be joyful. You don't need to chemically alter your state of mind to be happy. You just need to be in the presence of God. You know, if you're if you're enjoying your family around the dinner table, I mean, my goodness, what better could there be? The Bible says, in His presence, there is fullness of joy. But the world is not going to tell you that. The world is going to try to sell you something, right? So they're going to tell you that you need to, you need to stock up on vodka or whatever it is. Number three, the world will tell you that you just don't feel at peace. Try to steal your peace. You can't sleep, can't focus, can't concentrate. You need to have a few cocktails just to wind down. A little stress reliever. You need to unwind. Otherwise, you, you'll just worry. That's what the devil will tell you. You know, I have news for you. <laughs> Let Jesus be your stress reliever. When you get to church, you need to run around that building and praise the Lord and let the Lord take your stress away. Our minds have been deceived because we, we, we rely on what we see and what we hear. But here's what Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Uh, hallelujah. And he also said, do not be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I hope you're writing these down. Number four, the world will tell you pleasure is having a, an extra girl on the side. Your wife is not enough. She can't satisfy all of your needs. Come on. Cheating on your wife or cheating on your husband is where it's at. You need a, a what, what do they call it? A side chick. There you go. Well, crying out loud, you don't even need to be married to have a full life in God and, and to have joy in, in the Holy Ghost. You can be single and be quite happy. The world says that if you're in a marriage, real meaning and significance comes from being faithful. That's what the word of God says. Real meaning and significance in your marriage comes from being faithful to your vows and to your covenant partner. And but the world, the world will tell you what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> That's hogwash. That too is a lie. 
<laughs> yeah, what happens in Vegas is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. <laughs> That's what I tell people. <laughs> Unless it's covered by the blood. Do you see what I'm saying? Our minds are being programmed every step of the way by the prince of the power of the air, right? And it is through his word, the Bible, that we renew our mind. And the Bible says we need to renew our minds. I've been teaching on that the last couple of months. Uh, the Bible will clean up your mind, washing away evil thoughts and motives. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 tells us, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's word is the instrument Jesus Christ uses through the power of the Holy Spirit to wash away Satan's influence from our thinking. That's why we need to go to church and come to Bible study so you can hear the word preached and taught. That's why a daily time in the word will wash away the programming of the enemy. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. If you're not reading your word or being exposed to the word of God on a regular basis, I pray that you start immediately. Do you own a garden? Do you have something that you do on a regular basis that you get dirty up with? Maybe working all day in the garden and at the end of the day, doesn't it feel good to go in the shower and wash that all away? It's the same thing with the word. It washes the, wor the world off of us. The word washes the world off of us. Now, we talked about authority earlier. I want to remind you that authority was given to us at Pentecost. Uh, Acts 1 and 8. And you shall receive power. And the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Uh, we need to pick up that authority that was given to us at Pentecost. And the authority really isn't yours until you pick it up and own it. Have you been in the store and see a three-year-old take authority over his or her mom? Has a tantrum. Tells his mother he's not doing this, he's not doing that. Or mom, you have to buy me that. Hopefully mom will know who's actually in charge. And she has the authority. But if mom's getting pushed around by a three-year-old, it's because mom is not using her authority. She needs to understand that she can say, no, sir, not today. She may even want to discipline that child appropriately if she desires. But mom has the control. Mom is in authority over that three-year-old. Likewise, you have been given authority over the things in your life. That authority does not rest in your strength, your personal holiness, your power, your abilities. That authority is in you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, the righteous. Matthew 28, 18, listens to this. And Jesus came and spake to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. All of it. 
not some, all authority has been given to me. And that's why when he told them in Matthew, the next verse, Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and baptize them in the name of the Father, he's referring to himself. And the name of the Son, he's referring to himself. And the name of the Holy Ghost, he's referring to himself. He's saying, all authority has been given to me, go baptize them in my name. And that's the name of Jesus, which is one another reason why we baptize in Jesus' name. Because Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Not even the Holy Ghost is a name. The name is Jesus. Where did that name come from? It came from heaven. The angel appeared unto Joseph and in a dream and says, and she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Hallelujah. For he shall save his people from their sins. So until Jesus Christ returns, I mean, we are bearers of his authority. Demons must submit to you and me. Yeah. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. The same with sickness and disease. They must submit to you. Not because of who we are, but because of the authority that is in Jesus' name. I want you to get this. So that next time when you pray, you pray with that authority. You believe uh, that he is, the Bible says, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It is in that name that demons are cast out. It is in that name that people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is in that name uh, people are healed. Whatsoever we do, do it in the name of Jesus. Uh, the name of Jesus, let me see if I can find a practical example. It's like a cop's badge. It's like a policeman's badge. The policeman's not operating when he goes to arrest someone. He's not operating his own authority. He's operating the authority of the state or the town or the village that gave him a badge that says you are an officer of the law and you are empowered to uphold the law. Do you all remember uh, the Pink Panther? And Inspector Crusoe, I'm dating myself now. Uh, in Inspector Crusoe, this is an old time uh, program. They used to come on TV. He would say, I demand you to stop in the name of the law. <laughs> he was French. <laughs> <laughs> in the name of the law. <laughs> he was asking you to stop. He was not asking you to stop on his own authority. My Lord. He was asking you to stop doing what you're doing in the name of the law. That carried the weight. Yes. Amen. That's what carried the weight. And so when we act in the name of Jesus, if you pray over somebody in your family, pray over them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because that's where the authority is. So when you stand against the enemy, when you resist him, you resist him in the name of Jesus. You don't need to back up. Just use your badge. The mighty name of Jesus. It's a lot bigger than the enemy. And it has already defeated him. The name defeated him at Calvary. Come on, somebody. When you use his name, 
You're using a name that is higher than any other name. Philippians 2 and 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Glory to God. Amen. The name of Jesus is powerful. And has everything we need to overcome the enemy. Remember that the name of Jesus has already defeated sin, has already defeated Satan, has already defeated the demonic possession and power, it's already overcome the grave, it has already overcome death and hell. And that we now have that authority. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, not some. So when we invoke the name of Jesus, we are appealing to his authority. Resist the devil in his name. Submit to him. Resist the devil and he will flee. Uh, Matthew 10 and 1 tells us, quote, And he called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of affliction. Please remember that as a spirit-filled child of God, you have been given this same authority. The same authority that was given to the disciples because we are modern-day disciples now. Jesus wrote in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I have given you the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You have been given that authority. And then he says, And nothing will by any means hurt you as long as you're using that authority. And we remember now, don't we? We remember that when the enemy came to tempt Jesus, what did he use? He used the word against him. All throughout the gospel, Matthew 4, Luke 4, Jesus responded to the devil's temptation by reminding him of the written word. The most effective you and I will ever be when we resist the enemy is when we use the word of God against him. Jesus is known as the living word. How amazing it is that the living word gave us an example to follow by using the written word. <laughs> Hallelujah. We see the same scene in Luke, in Luke 4 of his gospel. We have the account of when Jesus went into the wilderness, right? The Bible says to be tempted by the devil. He had been fasting and he was hungry, the Bible says, for 40 days. And then he came to him as he was walking through the desert. The devil says to him, well, well, now, if you are the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones to bread since, since you're hungry, right? Jesus said in Luke 4, 4, it is written using the word. It's written. It's already written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, he resisted Satan and this temptation with the written word of God. Which, of course, means that you got to know the written word, right? So that's why we read the word. Amen. Next, the verse that says, The devil took him up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth at once, at one time. And then the devil says, like it's his, he says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you would just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said in verse 8, Jesus had a word for him. <laughs> Jesus had a scripture prepared. Jesus said, 
Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Again, using the word. And then the third time Satan took Jesus, the Bible says, to the pinnacle of the temple. And this time he tried to twist the word of God to make it say something it didn't say, which he does all the time, by the way. This is why you need to know the word of God. He said, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And, and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. In other words, he's saying, if you throw yourself off this pinnacle, if you jump off, you won't get hurt because it's written, it's written that they're going to protect you. Doesn't it say that his angels will protect you? But Jesus was prepared, though. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.16 and Luke 4.12. And he said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Period. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so what do we learn from Jesus? The word is a weapon. Amen. You know, if a, th if a thief comes into your house and you produce a weapon, the thief is more likely to back away if you produce a weapon. Well, the Bible calls the enemy a thief, right? John 10, 10. The thief comes but not to, but to kill and to steal and to destroy. But if a thief is trying to rob you and you resist him with a weapon, he is more likely to flee than not. So I want you to remember that you do have a weapon. You have a weapon. You have the sword of the spirit right here which is the word of God. Ephesians 6, take in the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So when the enemy comes against you, you need to be armed and dangerous with the word. This is why I encourage all my Bible students to memorize the word. Find a piece of word that, that strikes your fancy. And the Bible says, if you use the word, he has to flee. It doesn't say that he'll just slink off into the corner. It, it doesn't say that he will stand there forever deceiving and trying to tempt you. The Bible says he will flee, resist the devil, and he will flee. Amen. Amen. Please remember that. I'm just going to end with these few things. Remember, you are, you are not weaponless. You are not without a weapon. Number two, you are not acting on your own authority. Number three, you have the name of Jesus, which is above every name. You have to be submitted. You have submitted yourself to God. And you have to wash your mind with the word so that God can use you. So you can say to the devil, get out of my life out of my church, out of my family. I resist you in the name of Jesus. Let's obey the word of God, brethren. Let's resist the devil with the word of God. And the Bible tells us that he will flee. He has to flee. That's all I have for you tonight. I hope that this word was helpful to you. I hope that you got a little juice from it, a little something. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. 
If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.